somebody, even on a small level, can do the same things that a major business mogul is doing just at a smaller scale. Buying and selling businesses just got a lot easier. Welcome to the Web Equity Show, where thousands of successful entrepreneurs go to learn about buying, growing, and selling online businesses. Your hosts, Justin Cook and Ace Chapman, share their real-life advice, examples, and expert interviews to help you build and grow your own online portfolio. Now to your hosts, Justin and Ace. Welcome to the Web Equity Show. This is episode number 13. I'm your host, Justin Cook, and I'm here with my co-host, Ace Chapman. What's going on, man? How you doing? I am excellent, man. We've had a busy couple of weeks. I know you went to a couple of events. I was out in Rhodium in Vegas, and so, yeah, it, it was good to catch up. What happened, man? You left me hanging, buddy. We were supposed to meet up in Bangkok. We were going to do a little hang out, do a little uh, dynamite circle meetup, and you leave me for the Rhodium Weekend crowd in Vegas. What's going on, man? Yeah, yeah. So I'm hanging out in Asia. Uh, some of the listeners know I've uh, been working on a TV show about flipping businesses. Now, this is more of the offline stuff that I do. Unfortunately, I just don't think that flipping internet businesses can be made interesting enough for good TV. But got a call. They wanted to do some shooting and had to flop back, but wanted to make it to DCBKK. Ended up getting to Rhodium instead. And that was a blast, man. It's amazing to see how much this space is growing. Yeah, man, I had a little FOMO. So I basically chose like the location independent crowd over our industry event. And I was feeling kind of bad about it when I was watching all the updates from Rodeo Weekend. But you know, all my buddies hang out in Dynamite Circle and you know, all the traveling kind of entrepreneurs. I like that scene. And and we're connected to those guys. So we hung out there and, and it was next weekend in Vegas. So I was like, oh man, I, I can't go. I can't go. But I was watching all you guys' updates and I was like, damn, I wish I was there. You said it was like 80, almost 100 people there? Yeah, almost 100 people, a lot of industry guys, a lot of really new folks. And, you know, it's appropriate that we're talking about life and a day in the life of a business mogul because that's what a lot of people are trying to figure out. Like, how can I get out of my nine to five, get into flipping business? Full time, and there's a big transition. When I talk to people, the conversations years ago in this space, and even my coaching calls and that kind of thing, have been around. Let me buy a single business, allow that business to replace my income, and you know I can go and do what I want, and you know be on the beach or whatever. Now it's really interesting. A lot of the conversations that I'm having on calls, a lot of the conversations that I had in Vegas were all around getting into the business of buying and selling businesses. And so, you know, that's kind of what we're talking about today is what that looks like. What does a day in the life of what we call kind of an online business mogul look like? Do you think there's been a transition from people looking to kind of run their website in Bali on the beach to people that are looking to build like teams and process and how do you own multiple sites? I've been hearing a little bit more of that than just kind of the lifestyle Larry persona. Like it used to be like, oh, if I just had one or two websites and I just work on them in Chiang Mai or Bali or something like that, you know, Hawaii or whatever, I'll be happy. But it seems like people are thinking a little bit bigger now. Yeah, you know, it was just the huge popularity of Tim Ferriss's book before our work week got people excited about that concept of living overseas, being on the beach, and da 
that uh, and at the end of the day, Tim Ferriss himself doesn't live that lifestyle. And I think, you know, I've been on the beach for the last couple of years, hanging out in the Caribbean quite a bit and living over there a bit. And you can do that for so long. And it's like, you know what? I'm ready for the next challenge. I'm ready to really explode my business. And I think that's where people are right now is, you know, a lot of people are kind of over the just the lifestyle. And I think people still want that. But there is a huge desire to go out, make their mark and do something big, whether it is in this space or another space. Yeah, it's nice until you start doing it for a while. And then you go like, what's next? Like, what else is there that I can do? Right. And I'm sure you get this question a lot. But I get it. You know, people ask me, like, what does your actual day look like? Like, when do you get up? What do you do on a regular basis? And it does change a bit. But we want to kind of share in this episode, like what our days look like, what the days from our customers look like, and what do our website buyers and sellers do on a day to day basis? We want to cover some of that in a podcast episode. I thought it'd be interesting. I also thought it'd be interesting to share some of the benefits, right? Like we talked about this, you know, before the show and and we talked about it in it, but like freedom, wealth, connections, and kind of how that plays into this lifestyle and the the businesses that we're building. Yeah, there are some huge upsides and, you know, you mentioned a couple of them, but there's some downsides as well. And part of it is some of the things we were just talking about, you know, it's nice for me to be back stateside. It's a little bit better quality. You know, you have great internet in Asia. In the Caribbean, it's not really built for you to be working hardcore. So, you know, my internet, I'm sure some of the people have been frustrated with some of the quality of some of the podcasts of the past. And some of that's because, you know, I'm chilling on the beach and the internet isn't that great. So, you know, you've got just pros and cons and you've got that freedom, but you still have to decide, okay, what do I want my life to look like on a daily basis? And so this is something that, you know, I've played around with and experimented with. So, It's a fun subject to talk about. Yeah, buddy. We're going to get into all that. Before we do that, let's do some listener love and questions. First up, we got Tony on Twitter asked, do you know some good design or web dev people in the Philippines? I'm going to buy a site that needs to be redesigned. So what do you think about Tony's question? I mean, I do. We worked with a group and I'll share their information in the show notes. I think it was... God, I forget the name now, but they're based out of Davao. They're a good shop. I actually recommend if... You need a redesign or you need something that's like, you know, you don't have a big budget. 99designs isn't a horrible place to go. You're not going to get anything great or amazing, but you can get pretty good from 99designs. And for, you say, you know, 300 bucks, 500 bucks or something, you're going to get something okay. And then you pay a developer another 500 to 1,000, you're going to get something set up for you. So I, I don't think that's a bad option on the lower end. I mean, you could probably go lower than that, but that's kind of, you know, you can get something okay. What do you think? Have you ever used 99designs, man? Yeah, I love 99designs. I'm a big fan. You know, there's always the other option of going to Odesk, which is now Upwork, which I like Odesk a lot better, by the way. (laughs) But you can can go to Odesk, find somebody that, you know, has some great reviews and and go through the process. And and you almost can do a 99design-like process within your interviews process for the folks in Odesk, where, you know, you're checking out their work. You know, you can even have them do some sample work and that kind of thing to make sure that you're getting the right person. But, yeah, those are a couple good options, you know, 99 designs and then just hiring your own person. The other thing with using Odesk and 
you know, I've done this over the years is, you know, I have a pretty large team of just people that I've used in the past that are good. So you start to build out your team that you can go back to, you know, restart that contract and use them as you do other deals and buy other sites and, you know, somebody that you actually have a relationship with. So that's something to consider as well. Yeah, I think relationships start to get really important as you kind of move up the value chain in terms of design. I think 99 designs, if you need a budget of 1200 bucks all in, 1500 bucks all in, 99 designs, get yourself a developer and you can get it set up. The company I was mentioning in Devout earlier, by the way, is Illumedia. So if your budget's maybe two to $5,000, they're a good all-in option. They can take care of you. But as you move up, you know, you start to make connections with people and they kind of like understand what you're trying to do. They get a feel for not just, you know, the look and feel, but the user experience, right? And they're going to be able to design around the company that you're building. And so we've done that with a guy named John Myers. He's been really, really helpful with us over at Empire Flippers. And we've got a developer, Dan, that's really helped us out. He's actually uh, here in Thailand with us right now uh, doing some work. But yeah, both of those guys are fantastic. But you're looking at more of like a fifteen to $25,000 job when you start to you know work with these pros. It's expensive, but it can be worth it just depending on kind of where your business is at. I wouldn't say if you have this, you know, dollars $40,000 site, you're going to you know buy, you go out and spend $25,000 on, on design. It's probably not going to make sense. But at some level, it does. And so having those people around your business that you can go back to when you need further work done is actually really helpful, I think. Anyway, Tony, I hope that answers your question. I hope that's helpful. And we'll put the links in the show notes. All right, Ace, I got another question from Carl Strambury. He said, hey, guys, love the podcast. I'm prepared to sell a number of websites this year. You mentioned in one of your podcasts that when you sell a website, it should always be on a separate hosting account. I have all my websites on a shared Bluehost account. Do you suggest that I set up and pay for a number of extra accounts and move the sites one by one to different hosting accounts? And he starts to ask, you know, why is this so important? Technically speaking, it doesn't really make sense to me. Do you have any tips on how to do it? Well, Carl, I don't know what we said. Were we drunk, Ace? I don't know. We're doing a little little sippy sippy on the podcast for that one, man. I don't know what's going on, but I don't remember saying that we need to have them on separate accounts. It's actually not critical that you have them on separate accounts. So if I did say that, I misspoke. And if he misheard me, I just wanted that cleared up. It's not that important. It's to be transferred over anyway. If it's on an account with you know, 10 other sites, whatever, that's fine. There are some problems. I mean, I guess like if there was an attack on that hosting account, then you know your other sites might go down. So there's some, I think, benefits, I guess, of diversification, but it has nothing to do with buying and selling the sites. That's not really a problem when it comes time to sell. Yeah, yeah. Both of us both have sites that are on the same hosting. Yeah, the only other thing I can think of besides protection from risk where it might be beneficial is, you know, I've done some deals where I take over the hosting. You know what I mean? And so that's, you know, a little nice. You're not having to transfer the site. You just take over their hosting. So, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, it's absolutely not critical and it's probably not even necessary. <laughs> Another thing, if you're hiding it from other people, because there are ways to find other sites that you own on a shared hosting account. So if you're trying to be extra super sneaky, sneaky about your niches or something, there may be a reason to do that. But again, has nothing to do with buying and selling sites and not really an issue. But thanks for the question, Carl. Appreciate it. All right, Ace, what do you say, man? We ready to get into it? A day in the life of an online business mogul. We're going to jump right in, yeah? Let's do it. All right, Ace, we're talking a day in the life of an online business mogul. And I got to be honest with you, man, I was a little hesitant to do this episode. 
I didn't know how it would come off. I didn't want it to be really braggy. And at the same time, I didn't want other people going, oh, lifestyle, you know, podcast, what are they talking about? But, <laughs> you know, this is, you know, a question I get quite a bit. And I want to share some of the benefits, you know, some of the real tangible benefits that you get running an online business. And there are a bunch of misconceptions, too, that I think we should clear up. So I thought it'd be a fun episode for us to do. It is something that people, you know, requested me and I thought it'd be fun for us to go over. Yeah, you know, this is one of those things that I would get a lot just telling people what I did even 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, I say I'm buying and selling businesses and like, what? What does that even mean? You know, what are you talking about? And so I get this question all the time. I mean, at the beginning, it's more what is the job? And then the other part is what is your life like? What's your routine? What do you actually do? Just sit back and rake in the cash. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you, do you rake in the cash? Is it real? Like, I get a bunch of questions. Someone just asked me about this on Twitter. Like, what's going on with you? Where are you at? What's going on in the life? Like, what are you guys up to? And just recently, we had uh, someone who was basically a prospective investor, now an actual investor, wanted to come and, like, shadow us. So basically, he flew out to Manila, and Mike was there at the time. So he ended up hanging out with Mike and Joe, and they would work in coffee shops and he would literally just kind of shadow them. They would talk and, you know, kind of chat about the business and what was going on. But they got like kind of a, he got a glimpse at, you know, what their workday is like and kind of how they operate and, and what we do in our business. And I think that was really interesting to him. And I think we're going to try to give a peek at that in this podcast episode without actually being right over our shoulder. Yeah. And we're going to keep it balanced. So, you know, we're going to go over some of the major benefits because quite honestly, there are some great benefits to doing deals and becoming this online business mogul. But, you know, there are some misconceptions about what it means. And then we're going to get into what the typical day is like. What are weeks like when you're doing this whole thing? And I agree with you. You know, there is a degree where, you know, with this title, people may think, oh, that's so cheesy. Oh, online business mogul. But the truth is, that's the best word to describe what this is. I mean, you know, it's just a new thing where somebody, even on a small level, can do the same things that a major business mogul is doing just at a smaller scale. Yeah, buddy. So let's get into the benefits. I mean, the first one for me, and this is massive, is freedom, right? I have the ability to work when I want and on projects that I enjoy. That's just not something I got as an employee. Even when I was an employee that was you know, committed to the company that was a major part of the organization, I just didn't have that same, it just wasn't the same. It wasn't actually my company. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. There's no way that that could compare. And I don't mean like, you know, I don't want to like, you know, pull up the Porsche and like, you know, step out of the rented you know mansion and do the whole sales pitch, but it's really amazing. And so I can't overstate this one. Like my lifestyle right now is fantastic in terms of where I go, the projects I work on, the time I'm putting into it. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, us building a team because we built a team around our company that actually works in and outside of our company. You know, I'm able to step away from the business a little bit. You know, I can get the opportunity to see the bigger picture. For example, Ace, right now I'm on a kind of a three week trip that, you know, I brought my mom out to Southeast Asia and we're doing kind of like the quick overview of all the major hotspots. And I'm only working a couple of days a week. And I've got a team of people that are helping me, that are supporting me, that are working on our business and giving me updates and letting me know what's going on. And there's just no way I could do that without them. Yeah. 
And the really valuable thing is being able to run that team from anywhere. You know, I've done a lot of offline deals and it can be tough to, you know, you have a team, but they're used to being managed and somebody being there and you're going for too long, then, you know, things can start falling apart. Yeah. And that's, I think, you know, one of the problems is when we have like just kind of a set space where like everyone's there and if they expect you to be around and it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If you're there and you're the boss and you have to have this oversight over them and you leave, you know, cats away, mice are going to play. But when you build your business in a way that they're able to work remotely, there's real value. I mean, my mobility right now is fantastic. Right now, I, I could live and you know travel anywhere I want as long as it has an internet connection. I can stay connected. And honestly, Ace, that's pretty much the, that's most of the world right now, right? So I can go anywhere. I'm spending quite a bit of time in Southeast Asia. You know, I'm in Bangkok. I was just in Manila and Phnom Penh and Saigon. And I'm able to do this and keep the business running, which is pretty amazing. Like this wasn't possible 30 years ago. It wasn't. And it's a really new thing for me. I mean, you guys have been doing it for a while. It's only been in really the last couple of years, even more so the last year that I've started to set my business up in a way where, you know, I can live anywhere. And so, you know, I've got an apartment in the Caribbean right now. I'm coming over and going to hang out with you guys in Southeast Asia, going to travel a bit after that and maybe hit Europe. And that's a new thing for me. And I'm working, you know, it's not like I'm on vacation. I'm working the whole time. It's awesome. Yeah. And it does bring up some kind of weird scenarios, right? So I was in uh, Bali and we were in this, you know, small resort hotel, and, you know, the people come to clean the room. I was like, no, we're fine. And we're just sitting in there working. Like my girlfriend and I are sitting in the hotel room working. That must have been like we would come out to eat at the restaurant or whatever. And they must have been like, looking at us like, who the hell are these guys that go on vacation and then hang out in their room all day and work on the internet? That's kind <laughs> of On the odd. computer. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty dorky, man. I don't know what those guys are all about. But one of the things that I've noticed you know, with the kind of travel work lifestyle is that I've really started to view my time as a resource a depletable resource, right? So I've become very careful. I guard my time very carefully. So in terms of setting up calls and, you know, making sure that I'm maximizing my time that I allot toward the business, I want to make sure that I'm doing that instead of doing, you know, kind of like side projects, projects other people are working on. I'm trying not to duplicate efforts. Yeah. I think you, one, have the time to sit back and think, hey, is this something that I really want to do? Where do I want to put my time? And having that control even allows for that. So, you know, even if you're in a business and you've got a routine and you're going there every day, like you said, to a location and that kind of thing, when every day you're waking up and thinking, where do I want to be in the whole world and what do I want to be working on? That just changes everything. Yeah, I don't have a boss. I don't have anyone looking over my shoulder. You know, I don't have anyone you know telling me what I need to be working on. That's good. You know, it's also a drawback if it's something that you're not used to. Ultimately, you know, when you're running your online businesses, you're responsible for your own success. You can't blame anyone else. You can't point the finger. You can do it, but it just doesn't help because at the end of the day, it comes down to how successful your business is doing. And one thing I've noticed too is that sometimes I'm working on a project or I'm working on some kind of new task or thing I'm messing around with and it may not pay off for weeks, months, or even years. So I'm working for pennies at the start. And so you know, I've had some experience at this. And so I have an idea on what projects are going to pay off and which aren't. But sometimes projects don't pay off. And I'm working on something, and a year later, I got nothing out of it. So you know, you have to, I think, allot your time 
wisely pick projects that have the you know highest likelihood for success that are going to be the most important in your business. And that's fun. And that's, I think, interesting. And you have the freedom to do that. But that freedom comes with some drawbacks, too, which is if you pick, if you choose non-wisely, you can end up paying for it for years to come. Yeah, I think you also, it must be said that that's not an easy thing. It's easy to say, you know, be wise, choose the right thing to focus on, make sure that it's going to be great for your business. But it's tough. You know, I'm always deciding between a lot of different great opportunities. I get emails from people. They're like, why aren't you doing this? You should be doing that. And you could grow so much more. And, you know, you have all these things that are out there and you it's a tough thing to be able to sit back and decide. So let's get into wealth. How do you kind of use this being an online business mogul, not just to have the lifestyle and be traveling the world like Justin and do what you want to do today, but also build long-term wealth? A lot of the people that come into this space are really focused on making the income that they want to make and replace their job. And so that's most of the time the very first thing is how do I replace my job? And sometimes it's not a job, it's contractors. It's people that are building websites for other folks. They're maybe doing some consulting. And you know, you may have folks that are making two to five thousand on the low end or ten to fifteen, twenty thousand on the high end. But you know, that's not what I consider to be wealth. You know, you're going out, you're doing a project, you're generating money, and you can replace your job with that, but you don't have an asset at the end of those projects. Yeah, it's interesting. I know a bunch of contractors that are in that position. They're making, you know, a few thousand dollars a month, even up to, you know, low five figures a month. And while they love what they do, the smart ones understand that, you know, they're not building an asset, that they have basically kind of a job that's remote, that, you know, has split up amongst multiple clients and maybe sure and steady but isn't an asset. And I think that's not really what we're covering today, or that's not what we view as wealth, right? Yeah. The first aspect of that is it's a great thing to get started. You do some contract work, you may have a remote job, but we want to start to build value outside of your work and your time. The great thing is you can use that income to, whether you're working a job or building a business as a contractor, you can start to buy, sell, and trade assets. Now, the neat thing about this is you're generating an income, but you have an asset that you can either improve or just pay off and kind of get that return, sell it and then level up. Uh, And so sometimes I call this snowballing where, you know, you may get income from a deal and you take that income, you're saving some of it, you go out and you buy another one. Now you're generating more income and, you know, you continue that process down to getting more and more deals and eventually you may trade up into a larger deal. So there are a few different ways to do that, but the idea there is that you're on the path to constant growth and building wealth. When you're building assets too, I think one of the other benefits is that, especially in this industry, right, where you're buying, selling, trading, investing in online businesses and projects and assets, is that you can liquidate them because you're in the space, right? So you know how to sell them, you know, you know where to go to get the deal done and to find a new buyer. So it's not that you're like illiquid in these like, you know, long-term real estate plays. You can move on other deals because you've got these assets that you can then trade in for cash and, and move on these other opportunities that come along. And I think that's 
one of the interesting things about what we're doing. Well, and yeah, as somebody who's been in real estate, somebody who's been in offline deals, that's a rare and unique thing that's extremely unique just to online deals. I mean, the time on market is extremely slow compared to pretty much any other asset. I mean, the third benefit that I want to mention or I want us to mention is connections. And, you know, for example, building an industry leading website in your niche will open doors and give you access that you wouldn't have otherwise. Whether it's you having a podcast, having a blog, being a content leader in your space, you're going to be able to make connections with people that you wouldn't be able to do if you weren't public, if you didn't have that business, if you weren't well known in your industry or niche. And I think that's pretty interesting. It gives you access to investors or capital that you wouldn't have otherwise, right? Because you're in the space of building these online businesses. Other people are in it as well, and they want to get on it. So they'll you know, willing to give you 20 30%, 60% of the deal because they want to invest right along with you. You're also able to just, you know, for the fact that you're doing this online business, you're going to connect with other online entrepreneurs that are either in a similar position to you or an advanced position. And it gives you a roadmap or kind of a sneak peek at where you might be going and lets you, you know, decide whether or not, you know, that is who you want to become, right? If you see someone that's three to five years down the road and they're in a great position, they're exactly where you want to be. That's a great person for you, you know, to model yourself after. And I think, you know, being an online mogul, you have access to those people that you wouldn't have if you were just working a job, right? That's just not terribly interesting and it's not a great connecting point. This is something that's really not taken advantage of by a lot of people in our space just because it's easy to put your head down, focus on your deal and not network and connect. And if you do network and connect, it's not at depth. It's more, hey, I just had this issue. Who can help me? Thanks for the answer. And you move on and you put your head back down. And so building these deep connections where, you know, you're connecting with other people in your space, you're kind of getting into strategy, you're meeting people that may want to invest in your deal creates a long term wealth building machine. Yeah, not to make this a hug fest or anything, but I actually really respect your ability to kind of make those connections, Ace, and I think maintain those connections. You are fantastic at it. I know, I know a few other people that are great it too. But I think, you know, I've definitely learned from you in terms of, you know, how you make those connections, how you keep those connections open. And I hope we can get into that in a future podcast. I think that'd be really helpful for our listeners. Yeah, sounds good. All right, man, let's cover some misconceptions. There's a lot of these, man. And they range from this whole thing is a sham to, you know, wow, you guys don't do any work at all, do you? Right. So let's cover them one by one. The first one is that your business will be completely passive. You're going to buy an online business. You're going to start or run this online business and you're going to sit back, watch the checks or the clicks or the whatever roll in and just, you know, cast the checks. That's how it works, <laughs> right? Ace? I mean, you just sit back uh, and cast yeah. the checks. Exactly. That's what everybody wants, right? Yeah. And it just doesn't exist. I mean, you know, even when you're investing, I'm an investor in a lot of people's deals, but I still got to check up on those. You know, I'm keeping an eye almost daily what's going on in the traffic with that deal, what's going on with the sales. And, you know, no matter what, you have to be on the ball or things are going to get dropped. All right, man, here's the next one. Finding, acquiring, and selling online businesses is easy. What do you think about that? <laughs> this is another thing where it actually is. It can be extremely easy to go out, find some random deal that's a total scam, <laughs> buy it, and own something that's not going to make you any money. 
but to do it profitably is what's really, really tough. You got to know what you're doing. And it's a lot of hard work and it's looking at a lot of deals. And, you know, I deal with clients that I'm helping through the process and they're always like, well, I just want to buy a business. You know, why am I having to do all this? I'm ready to buy something. And that's the exact attitude that gets people in trouble. Yeah, I think being able to repeat that process, right? So basically, let's say that you have no experience whatsoever and you want to go out and buy a business and have it work, right? It's like just taking a stab in the dark. You might get completely scammed or you might just find a gem and be able to run it, but it's you have no idea. But if you do that over and over again, you don't learn anything, you don't you know figure anything out or put any processes in place, more often than not, it's not going to work out well for you. So you're going to have to gain experience. It's easy in that they're out there. It's, I think, more difficult or you know harder because of the skill required and the various skill sets that are required to find them and run them successfully. Yes, yes. Now let's talk about the next one, that this is a quick way to make some money. What are your thoughts on that one, Justin? <laughs> Well, no, yeah, not really. I mean, not in terms of like over the next couple of months, you're going to make quite a bit of money. That's just not likely to happen. And, and the problem with this business and why it's not, you know, some kind of get rich quick scam or otherwise or actual deal, actual get rich quick is that it requires quite a bit of capital. There are ways to get capital aside from that and to bring on investors. And we've talked about that on other episodes and you can do that, but that's not how most deals are done. I mean, most deals are done when people are bringing cash to the table or they already have that set up. So, you know, it's going to require some money. You know, the whole, you know, you need money to make money definitely applies here. Yeah. And I think getting in and thinking that you're going to have some quick, large payday is a huge mistake. And, you know, people think, oh, I'm going to I'm going to buy this thing. I'm going to grow it and eventually sell it and make, you know, this pile of cash. And coming in with that attitude can lead you to trouble. The yeah. next one is most people don't make real money with online businesses. <laughs> yeah, I hear this. So, you know, they're not making enough to pay their bills or, you know, that's the reason that person's living in Chiang Mai or Saigon or Bangkok or whatever. It's because they just don't make enough money. I think that's true to some degree. So there are people out there that are kind of getting started that are making, you know, 1500 bucks a month that are kind of hustling it up in Chiang Mai. They're not making much money, but Chiang Mai, for example, I'm just not picking on Chiang Mai, but it gives you enough runway to kind of live cheaply and get your kind of business off the ground. So that's why you'll see a ton of people that are in Chiang Mai kind of bootstrapping trying to get their business started. And you'll see this other places as well. But I'd say, you know, when I talked earlier about one of the benefits of the freedom or whatever is that, you know, you're able to go to places and live like an absolute boss, right? You're able to have a maid, a personal chef, uh, security, I'd have people with security guards, and you're able to do all these kind of, you're able to go to like the top restaurants in town, these rooftop bars and restaurants that are just absolutely amazing overlooking the city and just do things that, I think would be either unaffordable in other places, like let's say in New York or Tokyo or Sydney. Now, I could go live in New York, Tokyo or Sydney today, but my money just didn't go as far. Right? What I'm able to do in my lifestyle currently is amazing comparatively. Like it'd be okay in New York. I'd have an okay lifestyle. And I think, you know, being able to take advantage of this kind of arbitrage, this geo arbitrage is fantastic. Yeah. I remember landing in Manila the first time and meeting a few guys and I met one business there and he had a whole entourage and security guards and all this stuff. I'm like, 
man, this guy must be a huge deal. And then I figure, I find out, no, no, my business is as big as his. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, that's awkward, too, right? Yeah, I knew a guy in Manila, same thing. He had security guards, these guys with guns, or cruise around. He really didn't need it to have been in Manila. This is a total side thing. I'm going to continue with it, though. But the guy, he's rolling around, he's just baller, man. He's got, like, you know crazy dudes rolling around with them and guarding him. And I was like, what's going on with this guy? And he made pretty good money. His business is bigger than ours, but not by that much. And I think it was just a thing for him. It was just something he enjoyed. He liked kind of rolling around with security guards. You know, it was like important. And in Manila, you can just do that. So (laughs) I think it was just his entourage. And that's just something that, that he dug. Now, you know, the truth is there are people that, you know, don't make much money with online business. I said, there's more people in that position and they're, you know, running it as a hobby or they're just getting started. I think there's a lot of people in the getting started mode and a lot of those people never get past that. So they're getting started and then they drop it and they go do something else. Right. And that's understandable. Yeah. So there's a lot more of people in that position. So I understand kind of the skepticism that comes with that. Like there are a bunch of people that aren't making real money with online businesses, but there are, you know, hundreds, thousands. I know hundreds of people that are making real money with online businesses, meaning, you know, five figures or more per month up in the six, seven figures per month. So they're definitely out there. I don't know. Like if people don't buy it, then, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah, there's not much more we can say. I that's mean, you that. know, even yeah. I think it is an option, you know, for me, I live great in the United States, but it's more just, okay, where do I want to live? And a part of that is absolutely going to be okay, where can my money go a lot further? And where can I have more cash to put into more deals and still live the, you know, still live great. And so I think that's more the decision that people are making. And for a lot of folks, it's like, oh no, you know, if I want to be in the U.S., I can't, you know, use the same strategy. Yeah, I'm just kind of cheap too, man. I don't know. I go through Singapore and I'm just blowing money right and left. I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) get me out of this place. Get me back to a place where my dollar goes a lot further. All right, man, the fifth misconception, websites don't last. Otherwise, why would anyone sell them? So this comes from a skeptical buyer says, look, anyone who's selling a site, you know, that site's not going to last. Otherwise, they just keep it, right? Yep. I hear this one all of the time. And, you know, sometimes it's like they wake up in the middle of the night the day before closing, like, but wait a minute, why everything looks so good? I must be missing something. Because they're selling it. Why would they be selling it if everything looks so good and it passed due diligence? People have a lot of reasons for selling. Yeah, and the truth is that some websites won't last, right? If they're, you know, built poorly or they're in a niche that's very seasonal or I'd say, you know, like, you know, it's very 2015 or 2016 and it won't last long term. That's true. I think there are industries that are falling behind that are on a decline, right? And so those sites will probably continue to make less and less. But, you know, even if you look at like industry trends or changes, let's say an industry is just down in the dumps and your website or business is in that industry, it doesn't mean that your particular site isn't going to absolutely crush it, right? It could be swallowing up the competition and kind of being the one you know, true leader in a space, even if that industry is going down, it's a, a real leader there. So, you know, don't buy all the trends. And, you know, yes, yeah, some websites aren't going to last. Others are, you know, there are a ton of different reasons people sell their sites. So, you know, yeah. that's the deal. Sixth misconception is that the only people making money with this are selling the dream. And I'd say that there are a good amount of people that are making money with it that are selling the dream. I mean, you've got just a ton of people out there talking about 
you know, buying online businesses or running these online businesses and making money. And then they, you know, sell you a course or an ebook or they have something that they want you to buy to basically buy into, you know, what they're selling and what they're talking about. But for every one of those, there are a bunch of people that I know that aren't talking about it, that are happy to be kind of the behind the scenes. I would never put myself out there. You guys are crazy for doing it kind of person, right? And, and we've got that people specifically have mentioned it to Joe and I with our, you know, monthly reports. Like, why are you guys putting your business out there so publicly? That's ridiculous. You should just do what I do, which is crushing it quietly. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, we're not selling the dream in that we don't have a course or anything to sell you, but we do sell websites. So I guess, you know, we have to be somewhat included in that because we are brokering deals. But I don't know. What do you think about this, man? So the only people making money are the ones that are selling their courses and the products and the things around that. I think the selling the dream whole thing became an issue with the internet marketers. It reminds me of that. It's like, I'm an internet marketer. I'm going to sell you products that teach you how to be an internet marketer and sell other people products that teach them how to be a marketer. And so, you know, when you have that kind of incestuous type of industry, it's like selling everybody is just selling a dream and there's no substance. And so, you know, I think that what you're doing when you're selling deals and you're helping to get deals done is you are saying, hey, here is the dream that exists around doing these deals. And here's the uh, proof of that. But in addition, here's the substance and this is how you get it done. And, you know, you don't have to go out and sell somebody else a dream and get them to, you know, do that. And so that's how I view that. Yeah. So if you're selling the dream to people who you then tell to go sell the dream and do it, like that sounds very MLM-y too, doesn't it? <laughs> like, exactly. Hey, come over here and I'll show you how to do what I'm doing. And then you're like, hey, just go over there and, you know, sell them. <laughs> yeah, I that. You'll see some of that. You know, I know a guy, I'm not going to mention any names, but I know a guy specifically that has made plenty of money in the you know online business space and he's done quite well for himself and continue to do that. But one of the reasons he got into, I guess, selling the dream is because the margins were so good. He's like, mm. look, you know, I'm doing fine, my business is doing just fine there, but you know, my margins are so high in the information space. I just like why would I not do that? Like I've done really well. Why don't I share that information and get paid really well to do it? It's, it requires less people. It's less hassle. <laughs> that seems yeah. like a better way to go. You know, it's hard for me to argue with that. I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying, man. I get it. <laughs> it's funny. It reminds, I had dinner one time with a guy named Timothy Sykes who teaches penny stocks and that kind of thing. And we were talking about just some of the stuff that I was doing and what he was doing and, you know, awesome restaurant. He's like, dude, you got to buy a Lamborghini or something, man. It's like, <laughs> you got to show these people that you got money. You know, they're not going to want to follow you. If you don't have some kind, you got to get a Bentley or a Lamborghini. You're and, like, you oh, know, start oh. about it. I'm like, oh, man, that sounds terrible. Like, that sounds terrible. Why would I do that? So it's funny. That's a good thing. I was reading an article. I'll try to find it and put it in the show notes. It's from uh, Neil Patel. And something about him like putting on some like crazy suits or like really, really nice shoes and going around in his uh, apartment in Vegas or something. And, and kind of the connections he made by wearing these nice suits or driving this nice car or whatever. It's a really interesting article. And it sounded kind of outrageous to me, but I don't know. I, I bet there's some truth to it. Anyway, I'll link to it. Yeah, he actually did. I mean, and actually, Neil is a advisor to Tim. 
And I mean, the other side of that, this is man, this has been years ago that he was telling me that and it has worked. I mean, his business has exploded, continues to explode. Neil has made a ton of money for that. But I still think you got to be authentic and, and true to yourself at the same time. Yeah, man. All right. Let's get into it, buddy. Let's talk about our day or week in the life, so to speak. So when we get into this, I mean, there are obviously some days are different with the freedom that, you know, our positions or whatever allow in our companies. You know, we, some days I don't do anything. Some days I do a hell of a lot. So I'll just kind of talk about a typical day. So I'm a night Indian. So I wake up normally around nine to 11 a.m. and I start the day with, you know, I'm not going to get into bathroom breaks and showers or whatever, but like just work stuff. So you know, I wake up around nine to 11 and then I'll check email. So I'll see what I missed overnight, what our team's been working on, and I'll look for any kind of critical issues or priorities. I mean, I'll normally do this for about an hour, hour and a half, and I'll do this over breakfast. So while I'm, you know, eating breakfast and drinking coffee, I'll kind of see, you know, what happened and kind of get caught up because our team is working, you know, 24 hours a day. And then for, you know, the rest of the kind of the late morning and early afternoon, I'll work on daily goals or priorities. And one of the things I do is I keep open a tab and we do a quarterly strategy meeting with our management team. And we talk about what we want to hit for the quarter that will hit our kind of annual goals. And so when I'm working on these daily goals or priorities, when I remember to do it, I'll I'll have that tab open and make sure that the things I'm working on that day or that week align with those kind of quarterly goals. So that kind of helps keep me in check. Sometimes I forget and I do get off track a little bit, but that's ideally that's where I'm at. And then I'll normally take a good, you know, anywhere from three to five hours off. I might be goofing around online. I might go see something. I might do some travel planning because I'm traveling around quite a bit. And then after that period, I'll get, and this is normally in the, you know, like late afternoon, evening, I'll get into podcast prep. So, you know, there's a lot of prep that goes into this podcast and the Empire Builders podcast. We've got to do our recordings. So I'll do some of that. I'll, we'll do our team calls. We have a Monday team call and then any other calls with the team I'll do in the evening. And then I'll normally do a bit of writing. So I'll do a couple of hours writing. That could be, you know, this all this time could be anywhere from two hours that evening. It could be up to five hours, kind of just depending on the day. So that includes, you know, podcast prep, recording, team calls, and writing, that kind of thing. After that, I'll and this is kind of later into the night, I'll respond to emails or tickets. I get a lot of either personal questions or questions that, you know, need to come, answers that need to come from me. And I'll kind of jump in on those and answer that for maybe anywhere from 30 minutes up to two hours. And then I'll kind of spend the end of the day kind of prepping for the next day or kind of looking at the next week if that's the case. And I'm normally finished. I'm off somewhere between 10 p.m. to 1 a.m., just kind of depending on the day and, and what I got going on, you know, the next day and that kind of thing. And keep in mind, someone what I do actually, you know, this would be like traveling or meeting with clients or prospective clients or going to this city or that city, phone calls with other peers or, you know, being involved in masterminds. It's actually work, but it doesn't really feel like it, right? Like if I'm, you know, doing dinner and beers with a seller, you know, I'm, we're working. I guess I'm working, but you know, that doesn't really feel like work. So I'd say in general, I'm probably putting in 50 to 60 hours a week. But I mean, I don't know. Then some weeks are 25, 30. So it bounces around quite a bit. Oh, my goodness, dude. You got a productive day, man. I don't even want to get into my day now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to seem like a lazy bone. What you got, man? I want to I want to hear your day. So are you the night Indian or are you the morning? Uh, I am a morning guy. I cannot sleep. Like, I can't sleep past seven. So normally I'll wake up at six. 
But like even on the weekend, it's sometimes frustrating. I just can't sleep past seven o'clock. But it's great. So I, I wake up. The past couple of months, I've been in the Caribbean, so a lot of times my schedule is determined a little bit based on where I am. So it's going to be interesting to see how my day changes as I spend a month or so in Southeast Asia and, you know, just dealing with calls that are still back to the U.S. and all that. But for the last couple of months, my typical day has been waking up at six. Nice thing about the town I was in, had a gym that was a couple blocks over, ran to the gym, got to pass the beach pick up some breakfast, like bananas, mango, that kind of thing on the way back. Usually in the morning, I'll do interviews. So I'll have either a podcast interview or some kind of publication interview or webinar with somebody else. And so I like to get those. Do you limit those to a particular day or is it just like anytime Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday, that kind of thing? Yeah, I try to do Monday Wednesday and Thursday is typically when I do those. And so I know I've got a couple other things that I do calls on Tuesdays and Fridays in the morning with people that I'm partners with or investors in businesses and we're sharing ideas. So in the morning, I've got one of those two calls. I've either got a podcast interview or something like that, or I've got that meeting on Tuesday and Friday. And after that, I'd love to check on just the Google Analytics and some of the metrics of the businesses that I own. So, you know, I'm checking on those. If anything looks weird, I'm, you know, setting up calls with my partners in the deal or the people running the business and you know, checking it in with them. Do you have those rolled up somewhere? Do you like do you use like gecko boards for those? Do you get someone reporting to you or do you just kind of log into analytics and kind of see what's up directly? Actually, I use Scythe.com, which I was a part of doing a deal on that. So I'm a big fan. So you should absolutely use Scythe.com. <laughs> that was a little plug there, eh? Scythe.com. Yeah, you like that? Yeah, I, I just that, that in. One, that was good. That's, that's like the guy when you're watching the movie and then he just holds it up, whatever. Oh, and Bounty Fresh, right? <laughs> yeah, dude. Exactly. I, don't, I, I will check that. I'll link to it in the show notes, begrudgingly, but I'll link to it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, a great dashboard and it ties in just everything. It's pretty awesome. So, I log in there. And I'm able to kind of see what's going on with the different businesses and what trends are are happening. Then I'll check in on those businesses if need be. After that, I am working with a client. So afternoons and evenings are spent working on new deals. So that is working with clients that are going out and looking for new deals, people that are in the network, spent with potential investors And, you know, making offers on deals to get offers turned down on deals, coming up with uh, new structures and all that, doing due diligence. So you're you're hunting at night. Basically, you're hunting for new deals. You're hunting you know, for new investors or for new partners. That's kind of your evening time. That's kind of interesting. Like I would have thought you'd do that in the morning when you're kind of fresh and ready to go. Why is the evening better for you for that? Do you think they're more free? So a lot of times, you know, they're busy during the day. So it's a lot easier. And, you know, you got the West Coast. They're getting off kind of later at eight or so. So my evenings are usually pretty tied up. And that's just because they're, you know, working or doing whatever they do during the day. And they tend to like to do the calls in the evening. 
Got you, man. What do you like of the, your day? Like, what do you like the most? What's the kind of the time or the things you're working on that you like the most? And then which do you like the least? I think the, obviously the least thing is anytime you have a, <laughs> a deal that's having issues. So we had a deal that's a drop shipping deal. We realized some of the ads weren't working as well as they have been in the past. And so we got to make some tweaks. And, you know, when you get into those things, like, like you said, like the ideal is just money shows up every month, but <laughs> that's not the case. So anytime you have those hiccup calls and you're working with the person and trying to figure out, all right, let's figure out how we can make this this deal happen. The thing that is the most exciting is when I get to connect different people that may be doing deals where they're able to work together and maybe do a joint venture. And we've been doing a lot more of that lately. And that's been the most fun, even more fun than buying deals. Cool, man. So how many hours do you think a week you work on average? That's, uh, a, that's a rough one because I know it's off. Yeah, off yeah, I would probably say real work and not just like thinking or planning or reading, it's probably 30 to 40. I'm not putting in a ton of crazy hours. That's weird. That's the thing, like the real work, right? So it's hard to qualify that. Like, you know, I'm doing dinner. For example, like I'm going to meet up with you in Manila in what, like a couple of weeks from now or whatever. We do a dinner. Uh Like, is it work? It's kind of work. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. we're, we're hanging out. We're doing dinner. We're talking about the pot. I don't know. I guess so. I don't know. I guess it depends on what you classify work. And I, I'd say that's the weird thing too for like, you know, this kind of lifestyle, this online business mogul lifestyle is that, you know, how you classify work starts to change a little bit too, right? And what you're calling work changes. So I think there's, the lines are definitely grayed there. And I just have a lot of fun. You know what I mean? Like most of the stuff that I'm doing, I'm doing because I enjoy it. And then the side, you know, result is the fact that you're making money as well. And so. You know, yeah, I appreciate the fact that you say having dinner with me is work, man. You're going to remember that next week. We're going to be at dinner next week or whatever in Manila. And you're going to see me like roll my eyes or look away and be like, damn, dude, he's working right now. He's working. What's going on with this (laughs) Actually, you're right. I'm sorry if anybody from the IRS is listening. We are absolutely working. And so that is a totally legitimate Right off when That's we get that dinner. Absolutely working. <laughs> I, I feel bad for anyone who goes to dinner with me in the near future. Like if they listen to this podcast, I'm like, damn, dude, fucking working with Justin again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so funny, man. All right, let's, let's do a quick wrap up here. So, I mean, for me, the benefits definitely outweigh the downsides. I mean, you know, for me, it's really the freedom in terms of mobility, where I can go in terms of, you know, what I can work on and when I work on it, I think is just fantastic. The fact that I can step away or walk away from my business for a while and have our team continue to do the work is just amazing. So I think for me, it's fantastic. Yeah. And I think it's important for people coming in to just be balanced. You know, it's not this absolutely risky, you know, hardworking 90 hour week thing, but it's also not at the other extreme and totally passive and just checks are magically going to show up for the rest of your life. You know, it's plenty of work, but at least you're working for yourself and you're building assets and in turn building wealth. 
Yeah, I think it's also, you know, there's going to be some awkward moments. I talked about like working at a resort. I'm like, I'm at a resort. This is amazing. And I've got this, you know, I got the ocean over there. I got the pool over here. <laughs> and then I'm prepping for this podcast. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's cool, but like everyone else is having fun and sipping their Mai Tais. And, you know, I have half of one because I've got four hours of work ahead of me. So, you know, it's the mixed bag, man, but I definitely wouldn't trade it for the world. Thanks for listening to the Web Equity Show. Now is your chance to be a part of the action. Go to www.webequityshow.com slash gift and send us your business acquisition or exit question and have it answered on the show. 